you are listening to the Invitation Church podcast. To learn more about Invitation Church, visit us online at invitation605.com. You can also download our app on iTunes and Google Play by searching for Invitation 605. Good morning. My name is Israel, and I'm reading John 20, 24 through 31 today. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Through the doors, or though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, but your fingers, or put your fingers here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have, or who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did not make other miraculous, or did make other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in, in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that that by believing you may have life in his name. Awesome. Thanks so much, uh, Israel. If you're wondering what the book of John is about, uh, that is the summation of it. That here are a bunch of stuff that Jesus did, miraculous signs that he performed. I'm trying to close that. That's being awkward. And he did those so that you may believe, so that you may have life in his name. I want to take you into a moment, um, if we can. don't know if you've ever been at a, an event uh, where they have a bunch of different banquet kind of tables set up. Maybe it's a wedding reception that you've been invited to, some kind of other luncheon. They have these tables that have place settings on them. And I've wondered if, you know, you kind of go through and you get your food and you're looking for a place to sit. And there's not an obvious one. But there's a table with a bunch of people that you know that are seated there. And they're like, oh, no, no, come on over. We'll just like scooch you in. Anybody been in that moment? Yes right? It's not really designed for one extra person at the table, though. That's the problem. And so maybe there's a place setting, silverware, a cup, or some kind of chair, so you get scooted in, and then everybody sort of sits awkwardly like this. Like, it's just not been made for one more place setting. And I just need to tell us today that at times, This is what the church historically has done with doubt. That we've said, oh, we'll scooch you in. It's okay, there's room that has been made at the table to have questions. There's been room that's been made at the table to have doubts. But the experience of a lot of people, if you do what I get to do, I get to have lots of conversations with people. I will tell you that the experience of many people is that while they have been invited to scooch in, there's not a cup for them. There's not a plate for them. There's not silverware for them. And there most certainly isn't a chair for them. 
And what's beautiful, what's gift about today, about this passage that Israel read for us, the mercy of it, the grace of it, the power of it, the love that's embedded in it, is that Thomas gets to serve as a pastor for us today. Thomas gets to serve as an example for us today, that there actually is a place that you can come with your questions, a place that you can come with your doubts, and it's actually really good news when you're able to do that, and you're able to do that in the context of a community that will receive those things. Not a community that will judge them and push you away, but that will receive them and say, oh, no, no, like, there's a whole place setting here for doubt. And that's what we find in the kingdom of God. And so it's important to understand uh, today, you know, that faith is not the absence of doubt. We sometimes talk about it like that. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is actually the means by which to deal with doubt. Uh, Richard Rohr, I love, says this, that the art of faith is patience within mystery. Like the art of faith, the art of working out your faith as with fear and trembling, as Paul will talk about it. That rings true. There's some fear and some trembling that goes along with that. It is equal parts patience and mystery. And so belief is the willingness to stand on what we sometimes cannot see. It's the willingness to stand on what we sometimes cannot see, to stand on what we sometimes cannot feel, to stand on what we cannot explain. And so I need to tell you that doubting is part of what it means to be human. It's actually not something to run away from. It's actually something to embrace. I need to tell you about a car that I used to have. This is a little red pickup that used to be mine. And when I was doing youth ministry, I had some high school kids who thought it was hilarious. I leave my keys in my office. They thought it was so funny to go into my office to get in my truck and to pull it on the church lawn while I was doing youth group. There are some youth group students in the room today. I'm not calling anyone out or blaming anyone who was involved in such schemes. But see the torturous life that I've led. So that's what that was. And worst, the worst part about that, can you see, they left the lights on like the whole time. Bunch of jerks. And before uh, we had our second born miles, this is what you would see me running around town in, and I miss it dearly, and one day when I'm a grandpa, I hope to have another one. Um, that's another sermon for another day. But there was one day I pulled out of this parking lot, and I was on my way to get something to eat. So I had come to a stop. There's a stop sign on Lincrest Avenue to kind of pull on uh, to the street. And so I was waiting uh, for the way to be cleared when all of a sudden a car from behind me who was texting while driving slammed into the back of this truck. And it messed me up for a while. I was not the same. My back did not feel the same. My neck did not feel the same. My head did not feel the same for a while and did some chiropractic work and massage therapy. And I'll tell you, even to this day, 
there's just some scar tissue stuff going on with all of that. Those of you know, as you get a little bit older, your body is not cooperating the way that it used to cooperate. Um, but I have to tell you today that it's impacted me. And so when I'm now I drive a gray minivan around town, super cool. It's laughing, it's actually cool. And uh, you can put a lot of stuff in there. And whenever that happens, and you know, we have this like rear mirror. And when I'm driving and I see someone coming in the rearview mirror, can I tell you that I doubt that they're going to stop? Can I tell you that I don't believe that they're paying attention? Can I tell you that I don't believe that they have my best interest in mind, that they're not driving in a way that's distracted? Can I just tell you that all these years later, seven years later, I still like sometimes flinch a little bit? Why? Because I've had the experience of being run into. I've had that experience of pain. And so I seem to tell the church today that doubt is part of what it means to be human. And I think once we can actually get our arms around that, our hands around that, we can embrace that that's actually part of what it means to be human. It helps us with judgment towards other people who have questions, but also helps us with acceptance. We also know like, okay, yeah, this is part of what it is going to be to follow Jesus. I'm going to doubt things. I'm going to have questions. And so I need to tell you that I don't believe the Bible because I never doubt it. I think that if we don't doubt the scripture, if we don't doubt moments that we read in here, promises that we see in here, we're probably not reading it, anybody? Or we're probably reading it in such a way that we're not really intent on living it. Like we've made it so simplistic and so easy and formulaic, and so we can come up with words that rhyme with one another as a way to live, but actually in real time it's really difficult to follow Jesus. Because there's a cross involved. There's an arrest that's involved. There's an absence that's involved. The disciples see and experience and feel all of those things. And the questions about the way of Jesus, can I just tell you, they only matter if you're intent on living them. Like, if you're not intent on living the way of Jesus, then, like, these words, they're not going to matter. We don't need to wrestle with them. But if we're going to live them, if we're going to take them up into our life, if we're going to take up the way of Jesus, then wrestling is required. And I also think doubt will be your experience at times. But please, church, do not allow the doubt that is sometimes a part of your life to keep you from driving around town. That would be a mistake. That would be a loss. If because I got hit in the back of my little blessed truck, may she rest in peace and rise in joy, and I decided instead to just walk around town, I would have missed what I have been enabled to do. And so I don't know if anybody in this room has ever doubted this promise from Paul that if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Anybody in the place, you don't have to raise your hand, you can raise your heart hand. Anybody ever doubted that before? Anybody felt like an old creation? Like the new hasn't come, I'm still living in the old. Anybody in the place ever had a moment where they didn't feel like that applied to them, like it wasn't true? Have you ever doubted that? 
Has anybody in the place ever doubted these words from Jesus that who the Son sets free is free indeed? Like if you had a moment and experience, a season of your life where you didn't feel free, you felt enslaved and trapped and locked away. Is there anybody in the house who's ever doubted these words from Paul that you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for you to do? Is there anybody in the house who's ever doubted those words? Like I don't feel like a masterpiece. I don't feel like his workmanship. I kind of feel like somebody just kind of threw me all together awkwardly. Has anybody ever doubted these words from Paul in Romans chapter 8 that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Have you walked through a season of life? Have you had days where you felt like everything that is happening is separating me from God? If you can say yes to any of that, doubting any of those truths, then you know what's in Thomas's heart. You know about his experience. You know that feeling in his gut as he hears about the resurrected Jesus, but he's like, I, I don't know. Like, I need to see. I need to see the wounds. And I need to see his life. I need to see his chest rise and fall. And I'm not ready to step into that. The art of faith is equal parts patience and mystery. And so the book of John is full of people like us. People who are hostile. (laughs) There are some people in the book of John who are hostile toward the way of Jesus. Spoiler alert, happens to be the religious people. Who are standing like this against the word and the way of Jesus. But then there are other kinds of people. There are people who misunderstand Jesus. So there's a disciple, like we talked about last week, who pulls out a sword and slices off the ear of Malchus in the garden because they think it's a kingdom that's going to come by their power instead of the power of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. There's people who misunderstand. There's people in the Gospel of John who have wrestled. I think of so much of Nicodemus. You know, this, people call him a lawyer. And, you know, he comes and has this conversation with Jesus, and I just believe he so desperately wants to believe. But there's a whole bunch of luggage in his heart. Ever had that moment in the airport, like you're running towards something, like a gate that you're about to miss, and there's just a lot of luggage, and maybe people behind you that feel like luggage at the moment, and you're just trying to get there? That's Nicodemus' story. He wants to believe but it's hard and it's dark and it's difficult and it's unclear. The art of faith is patience and mystery. But then, praise Jesus, there are people who come to believe in Jesus. There are people who come to follow. There are people that come and will give their actual physical life for him. And so let's talk about Thomas, this person that was also called Didymus. Uh, Your translation, you might find, also called the twin. And we don't really know what that's all about. It's something that we get to fight about. 
Some people think it's because he looked like another one of the disciples or that he maybe looked like Jesus or that was some kind of nickname or maybe he actually was a twin. There's evidence kind of all over the place on that. But when we think about Thomas, I want you to think about a story that your family loves to tell about you. Many of us have those kinds of families. There's been a moment in time that our family has remembered and they love to tell about it. It's maybe not always the most glowing moment that you've had in your life, but it's a moment that your family likes to tell. I think the church likes to tell the story about Doubting Thomas, but we don't rewind the tape and look at the whole of Thomas's life. What a lot of people know about Thomas, he's like, oh yeah, the doubter. And that's often not said with love or acceptance. It's often said with like some disdain and like turning up of the nose. So I want to take you through a couple different events. I want to take you to John chapter 11. And Thomas, this is Thomas at the news of Lazarus' death. Jesus says, our friend Lazarus has died. And so we're going to go raise him up. I'm glad for your sake that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Anybody know what Thomas says? He says, let us go with him that we may die with him. Let us go with Jesus that we may die with him. Can I tell you that Thomas is convinced in this moment following Jesus is going to cost him his life but we like to label him a doubter. Like one who sort of like tipped his toe in to see how cold the pool was and then stepped back away from it. No, Thomas says, disciples, let's go with him. Let's go with him back to the place where they threatened death against him and all of us. Let's go so that we might die with him. And I'm just going to be honest with the church today, which is a good thing for a pastor to be, so good news for you. I just don't think I've ever said that to anybody. I don't think I've ever been in a moment with other disciples, other people, and I've said, "Let's, let's go with Jesus so that I might die with him. Thomas is much more than one moment just as you are much more than one moment, just like I am much more than one moment. So that's John chapter 11. You're asking me, Dave, tell us about John 14. Sure. John 14 is this. So Jesus announces at the Last Supper to the disciples that what? He's going to the Father's house. He's going to prepare a place for them. And Thomas says something amazing, and it's beautiful. Lord, we do not know where you're going. Like, how can we know the way? Up to this point, it's like, hey, we're going to Bethany. Hey, we're going to Capernaum. We know where those places are. Hey, we're going to Nain. Hey, we know where that is. All of these places are pretty close together. Israel is not a huge place as far as a square foot map goes. But he's like, Father's house. Prepare a place for us. Well, we want to go. Like, 
How are we going to get there? It's a question that I think all of the disciples are asking internally. But Thomas steps out onto the waves of the uncertainty and says, how are we going to know the way? And then in John chapter 20, the day of the resurrection, the disciples come to Thomas and they're like, hey, 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 like he's alive. Like he's been raised from the dead. And he says these words, hey, unless I see his hands and put my finger in his side, my hand in his side, I will not believe. And I think in this moment, if we can sort of place ourselves there, I think there's a lot of grief and a lot of fear and a lot of trauma that's talking. I mean, he's lost his Lord and Savior in a physical sense. Like this person that he followed, this person he said, let's go with him so that we would die with him, is no longer here. And I just wonder like what we would do in that moment, how we would react in that moment. And Thomas goes off by himself because I think he's got some conversations to have with God. Then there's not evidence for that in the text, but I just imagine if Thomas is willing to do that, he's willing to have a conversation with like, hey, I thought you said, I thought this was going to be different. But he's dead. And it feels like the promises are dead too. But then there's another moment that Israel read for us today, a week after the resurrection. After eight days, Jesus appears to them again, and this time Thomas is present. So the disciples have brought him in. Then he says to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it in my side. And then Thomas responds with one of the greatest exclamations of faith in the entire Bible. It's maybe the greatest sermon that you're ever going to hear. The shortest sermon that you're ever going to hear, which is probably good news for some of you. My Lord and my God. Thomas is the first person in the book of John to call out the deity of Jesus. To call him God. It's what John has been saying from the very, very beginning. He's this image of this God that is invisible. And so in verse 26, the disciples are gathered in the house again, and Thomas is with them. And verse 27, Jesus approaches Thomas. Don't you love that today? Like he knows about Thomas's doubt. And he steps toward him. And he's like, hey, here, touch my side. Look at my wounds. I just want to know what's going on in Thomas's heart in that moment. Like, oh my gosh, he's been listening to our conversations. Yeah, he's God, so. And then he calls faith forward. Stop doubting and believe. And can I just tell you, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, I believe God's going to put you in moments when you're going to have the opportunity to call faith forward in the life of another person. And when you do that, when you speak those words over another person who finds themselves in a struggling place, you're going to stand in the footsteps of your risen Lord Jesus. Verse 28, Thomas exclaims, My Lord and my God. 
And I need to tell you, this makes me think of this prayer that little Jewish girls and little Jewish boys would learn when they were really small. When they're in the stage where their voice is just really cute. You know the stage I'm talking about. Deuteronomy chapter 6. They would have learned this prayer. Shema Israel Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. My Lord and my God. This is a, it's a dangerous sentence in the first century. Because early Christians were, were caught in a vice grip between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Rome. There's even this Roman emperor, he lives like uh, 140 years after Jesus. He rules Rome with an iron fist. His name's Domitian. And they would have called him our Lord and God. And so in that moment, Thomas is placing himself on the side of King Jesus with him. And because he has stepped closer to him, he stepped away from the kingdom of Rome, from the culture surrounding him. And then verse 29, there's one final beatitude. Did you know that there's a hidden beatitude? I love hidden stuff. This is a hidden beatitude. We saw in the book of Matthew, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus say, hey, hey blessed are you. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the peacemakers. All of these beatitudes. But then there's one final beatitude. And it's not an official beatitude, so please don't run with that too far. And Jesus says, Because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Blessed are you when you've not seen and yet have believed. Can I tell you that I think in this moment, Jesus knows, and later John is going to come to know that Thomas is going to be of great help to a whole bunch of people. Because there's going to be a whole bunch of people can really identify with the place that Thomas is standing in. And it's going to be so important to have this moment, to have Thomas walk through this season of doubt and yet to come to God with those things and for God to approach him, for Jesus to say, hey, come and see. And then for Thomas to exclaim, my Lord and my God, this very dangerous sentence in the first century. I'm going to invite the band up as we close today. I just think that there are a lot of people who are waiting for doubt to disappear. Like we're waiting for the moment when we're going to graduate out of doubt. Like we're no longer going to wrestle with like, ah, I just don't know, I just can't see, I just don't feel. And can I just tell you that if absence of doubt is a prerequisite for being used by God, can I just tell you I have no business being used by God? If absence of doubt is a prerequisite for God doing something with and within me, I just have no business standing up here. 
And this is something that we see all over the scriptures. Like, I don't know, let's talk about Jesus' mom for a second. Angel comes to her and says, hey, turns out God's with you. Turns out God has something that he wants to do in and through your life. And can I tell you what Mary says? How can this be? And yet, like, we've not really attacked Mary for that. Like, well, I can understand that because that's a really big deal. Oh, you can understand someone who's been killed and then has been raised to life. And so Mary is an example for us. Like, how can this be, this curiosity, this wondering? And what a beautiful thing to pray in the presence of God. Like, God, will you help me understand? Will you help me see? And then, okay, let's fast forward the tape. Let's look at Jesus in the garden. And we know that his body is filled with grief and turmoil. And sweating drops of blood. And he says to his father in heaven, like, hey, if there's like an exit ramp, if there's a plan B, this is a really good time for it. Like this cup of wrath that I'm going to drink on behalf of all people everywhere. Like if you've got, if there's another way. But then he says, but not my will. But your will. And that sounds a lot like Mary to me. And it also sounds a lot like Thomas, my Lord and my God. And so can I tell you at this church, we've got a chair. For doubt. We got lots of empty ones, it turns out. And we've got a plate, we've got a cup, we've got silverware. We've created a space where you don't have to turn and sit awkwardly. And why is that? Because I think that Jesus, in his heart and in his kingdom, has made a place for people to sit who sometimes wrestle with doubt and with uncertainty. And I need to tell you today that Thomas has been of great help to me because there's a lot of things that I've doubted. I've doubted that if anybody's in Christ, like Dave is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has, co- has come. I've doubted that Dave, you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for you to do. I've doubted that. And if anybody can identify with that, if anybody's with me in that, this is a really good place for you to hang out. So that we can all come to a place at different times of needing another person to to call faith forward within us. And also times where we proclaim with one voice like our Lord and our God. This is what I want this place to be. And the more that we can get our arms around Thomas... Placing ourselves in his place. I think we come to understand this interaction between he and Jesus as a moment of grace in his life. So if you're doubting today, 
If there's things that you're uncertain about, know that God receives you. Know that God has shoulders broad enough for that. Doesn't have a finger pointing at you like, why won't you just get it? Like my math teacher. Jesus is different than that. Jesus says, hey, come sit. I died so that you would have a place. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your grace and your power and your love and your mercy and your kindness, your gentleness toward us. We thank you for Thomas. And we thank you that he gets to be our pastor. He gets to shepherd us. He gets to lead us as an example. And so we thank you for him. And we thank you for his life. And we thank you for this interaction in the scriptures that is of such help to us. This interaction that helps us be honest. God, I pray that you would prompt us even now in these moments to not run from our doubts or run from you in our doubts, but we would be talking to the disciples around us about what we need for faith to be strengthened within us what we need to see for faith to be strengthened within us. And I pray the courage over this church for that. To turn to another person and to say, I need to see the wounds in his side. I need to see his hands. And I believe that you are a God that is more than willing, more than kind, more than joyous to step into that moment with us. So God, thank you that you walk with us, that you guide us, that you teach us, and that you love us, that you've created a place for each one of us. We love you today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to sing one more song together. Thank you so much for joining us on the Invitation Church podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message that you just heard and receive every part of it. Every promise from God, every declaration of his great love for you, every word of hope, every reminder that you have been made for more. Allow what you've heard to take root in your soul to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. I also want to encourage you to be part of what we are doing here at Invitation as we invite people to live the way of Jesus. Go to the app and become a regular giver, an investor in the story that God is writing in this place. Also, if you found the message meaningful, we'd love to have you share it with someone else as you partner with us in carrying the message beyond the walls of the church. I want to thank you for being here with us. Grace and peace.